0: Hello, aspiring data analysts. We have a great episode for you coming up where we talk to Brad Yarbrough, who basically went from an economics student in college to a data analyst, kind of, to a senior data scientist. We talk about everything on his journey that helped him get there from going through a master's. Was it worth it or not? How much did it cost? What was the time investment? How did he use his network to actually land that job? And what role did a portfolio play in this whole process? If you're trying to land your first data job, you'll definitely wanna check out this episode and see what principles that you can steal from Brad's journey and apply to your own. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Data Career Podcast, the podcast that helps aspiring data professionals land their next data job. Here's your host, Avery Smith. Hey, just before we get into this episode, I wanted to say thank you because I'm looking at it right now and we have 121 ratings on Spotify, which almost makes us the top ranked data podcast on Spotify. I have all these podcasts pulled up on my phone right now. I'm looking through all of them and the only one that I can find that has more ratings than our podcast, the Data Career Podcast, is Data Framed by DataCamp. They have 193 five-star ratings on Spotify. So we're at 121. we got to get to 193 to beat them, which is 72. Which means if 72 of you guys stop what you're doing right now on Spotify and go give us five stars we can take over and become the best data podcast on Spotify, not the best podcast on Spotify. We have a little bit of ways to go in terms of that. If you guys are listening on Apple, we have 68 reviews on Apple, so we're lagging a little bit behind on Apple, but I would really appreciate it if we could beat Data Camp's podcast and become the top data podcast on Spotify. If you guys don't mind doing so, please leave a review in Apple or Spotify. It really helps the show grow. and helps other people like you discover this show, which will help them in their career. So if you want to help other people in less than 30 seconds, just leave a five-star review in Apple or Spotify podcast today. Welcome back to the Data Career Podcast. My guest today is Brad Yarbrough, who's going to talk about his transition from a non-traditional background in kind of economics to a data analytics and then data science role. Brad today is a senior data scientist at Protective Life, Brad, welcome to the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be on.
0: Okay, so you studied economics in college. Tell us about how you got your first data job.
1: Sure, yeah. Studied economics with a double major in mathematics, and I was hosted in the business school, and a friend introduced me to the idea of data analytics and data science in undergrad and decided to pursue that. And I really didn't have the experience coming out of undergrad that I should have had to really land a data science role that was back in 2017. So ended up going straight into a master's in applied statistics. And from there, built the necessary sections to land a couple of offers and take my first uh, data analytics job.
0: Okay. Awesome. Let's talk about some of those steps that, that you took, because like you said, you were studying economics, mathematics inside the business school, right? That's correct. Okay, cool. And what was your first data job you were able to land?
1: I really had no work experience up until when I started grad school. I took classes the first semester, and then over the summer, I was getting married, and I was staying in town, so I didn't take any internships based in any cool company's headquarters. But through a connection of a professor recommended, I talked to the head of a research institute on campus, and he ran a data analytics lab. And I knocked on his door, and I asked him him my experience, I was, you know, econ and math background, working in statistics, interested in data analysis and data science, and asked if he had any work that I could work on over the summer. And he said, they could probably find something for me to do. And he asked if I was willing to work for free initially. And he said, he'd try to pay me if he could. But I said, yes, I would work for free, obviously part-time, so I could get another part-time job that paid to make ends meet, but ultimately ended up landing kind of an internship in data analytics research that summer and ended up paying $15 an hour, which was enough to kind of get by for now. But that internship actually turned into the graduate research assistantship that I took to pay for the rest of my master's program. So that was really my first paid role was that summer internship.
0: Okay. There's so many awesome things there I want to dive into. The first one is if you're a college student listening, this is a really good opportunity to try to emulate, try to recreate in your career. When you're a college student, there is a lot more opportunities going on. You just have to kind of go out and and find it. So, you know, this is when you were a master's student, correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I completed my first semester of my grad school. So it was a 30-hour program. So about average of 10 hours of courses per semester. And I was going into the summer and was looking for some work to do.
0: Okay. Okay. Cool. So for all our master students listening, this is an opportunity for you. And for all of our undergraduates, this is an opportunity for you as well. I started kind of similarly to Brad, but back in my freshman year of college, back when I was a freshman, I was really excited about, you know, just starting real life and being in college. And I was studying chemical engineering at the time. And I had no experience with chemical engineering at all. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, I want to figure out If I even like it. I want to start doing it. And so I actually cold messaged 20 professors and said, Hey, can I come work in your lab? I didn't have any of that work experience either. And one ended up, two ended up replying and one ended up giving me a chance to work there after getting trained for three months for free. So I had to be willing to work for free in that case there. So there's lots of good opportunities when you don't have that experience to try to connect with one of these you know, professors or college research institutes, and there's usually good opportunities there. So I love that you you did that. I think all of our masters and undergrad students listening to this can probably really benefit from that story. The other thing I really like that you did is you had to go and like talk to the professor face-to-face, right? Like you had to put some effort into it. It wasn't just like it was given to you, right? Can you talk about that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, sure. So the professor or one of the professors and admissions professor who helped me get into the program. She, I was just giving her just general things I need to know. And she told me I should go talk to this particular professor. So went to his door, just randomly caught him in his office and sat down and told him what I was interested in and what I was trying to do and just asked if there was anything I could work on. So it was totally unplanned, unscripted, just had to be willing to work and show eagerness to learn. And that really, you know, got my foot in the door.
0: I I love that you said the eagerness to learn, which a lot of people, you know, when you're eager to learn, a lot of times you don't, that means you don't have the skills necessarily. Right. And you think, oh man, no one's ever going to hire me, you know? But actually in the last episode that just came out with Megan McGuire, we talked to a Hiring manager, that's one one of the things that she said that she looks for is the eagerness to learn. Because in data, we both know, right, that you never can learn at all. So being eager to continue to learn as time goes on and to improve, I think is really important to to your career as a data professional. So I like that you said the eagerness to learn kind of got you in the door. Okay, so you go and talk to this person, you you convince them, hey, I'd work for free, even you know they end up paying you fifteen dollars an hour. And that eventually led to, not so much of an internship, more of a more formal role while you were in grad school. And then what happened after you graduated?
1: Yeah. So prior to graduation, I was able to make connections through the research Institute and just with the skills I built there working in SQL and Tableau and R and a little bit of Python, was able to land the three job offers and ended up accepting one. And that's what I went into straight after graduation. So two offers with different banks and one offer with a defense contractor. So titles were varying from senior marketing data analyst, just a generic financial analyst. And then the offer I ended up accepting was actually supplier quality engineer for the defense contractor company. So ended up working there. And even though the title was supplier quality engineer doing a lot of data analytics work on that job, mostly working in Python, SQL, Tableau, and Excel. So that was my next step after graduation was going straight into that role.
0: Yeah. And that was supplier quality engineering that you would never really guess that role has that much to do with data analytics, but it did, huh?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of roles out there and teams have data that they're looking to make sense of and really utilize. And this team acknowledged that and kind of sought me out in the interview process as far as what skills I could offer to kind of help them parse through the data that they had and, you know, overall increase productivity as a team. So I was kind of the only one on the team doing the particular data analytics work, but it was definitely a lot of, opportunity for data analytics in that role.
0: Yeah, I agree. There is, there's a lot of roles that aren't necessarily titled as data roles, but really would function as data roles. When I worked at Exxon, my official title was optimization engineer, which doesn't have the word data in it, doesn't have the word analytics in it, but I spent all day, you know, analyzing data, making statistical models, doing machine learning, programming, doing stats. It was very data centric, but you would never really guess. From that title so i think it's important to know that sometimes titles are can be a little misleading out of curiosity why did you take this supplier quality engineering role over the senior marketing analyst role that sounds more data and it sounds more senior
1: the role with the defense contractor was also it was in texas i'm from alabama so texas was a little bit more climate similar than the other offer was from ohio And then the third offer was actually from Alabama as well. So I wanted a change of scenery, but maybe not too much. So thought the career advancement opportunities would be there with the company. So ended up in with the defense contractor.
0: Okay. I like that. Life's not all about your salary and money. So I think it's always good to take a holistic approach when looking at job offers and, and stuff like that. Why do you think you got those three job offers or how did you end up like in those situations to get those offers?
1: Yeah, I definitely had built a little bit of chops as far as interview goes. I was able to answer the questions that they wanted answered, and some of them were, you know, less really rigorously technical and more just what's your approach to playing. But I think through the connections that I made in the program in grad school and the research connections that I made with professors, and they had previously hired students from this program before, so they knew the skill level of students coming out of the program kind of what could be expected there. So as long as I didn't really totally drop the ball in the interviews, I think it was reasonable that they would give me a chance.
0: Okay, cool. Very nice. So you're in this role, you're doing all of this data work. It's not necessarily called that. It's not, you know, it's not necessarily says the word data or analytics, but you eventually move into a senior data scientist role at this company. How did you make that transition from supplier quality engineering to senior data scientist?
1: Yeah, sure. So. The jump I made at the first company was from kind of senior data data analyst or working in supplier quality engineering to senior data analyst at the same company. And the whole time I was there, I was open and honest with my manager about my career goals as far as five and 10-year plan, definitely wanted to be more in pure data science and analytics. So he knew that our team wasn't purely focused on that. We were just utilizing my skills to help the team overall. So after one year in that role, when it's kind of reasonable to transition within company, he encouraged me to seek other opportunities within the company. And then through sending out a few applications and meeting with a couple of different managers on other teams, ended up landing in supply chain management and working as a senior data analyst on a dedicated team that they had a role carved out that was you know purely searching for that rather than integrating or embedding with a team and working on other things.
0: Okay. So being honest to, with your boss, like being upfront and talking about what your career plans long-term was really key for that. And then it also sounds like networking with other managers and other you know, people at your company was probably pretty big in that transition as well. Right?
1: Absolutely. People you meet along the way that you work on projects with that are on other teams, it's good to stay in touch and see what they're exposed to as far as Other teams and opportunities and actually from the grad school program I came from, two of my friends ended up at the same company as well. So had exposure to the projects they were working on, was able to discuss with them and what potential opportunities there were. So, yeah, networking through school and through careers definitely helped out a lot.
0: Okay, and at this defense contractor, I know you won't be able to say exactly what you were working on, but in broad terms, what were some of the projects that that you were working on? What were some of the problems that you were trying to solve? And what type of tools were you using to solve those problems?
1: Yeah, sure. Our main problem that we were solving was just uh, quality defects coming through the manufacturing line at various points in manufacturing. And if they were determined to be caused by the supplier, it was what my teams had to deal with. But spanning across all quality engineers, they would take several hours of their day in meetings just reviewing the raw images from these initial defects. And they really would forward those to another team based on who they thought should work that problem. So the project I worked on was integrating a machine learning model using, you know, unstructured, structured and image data to predict what the cause of the defect was so we could bypass these multiple hours of human review and just forward that to the team that should work on it, who was the uh, suspected cause of the defect. So that was really kind of automating a very manual process before. So that was the main project that I worked on and ultimately analyzing and trying to sort these defects as to which ones were high impact that we should work first versus which ones were lower impact we could wait until we had the opportunity to work on those. And
0: and was that in the supplier quality engineering role? Yeah, that was
1: actually in the supplier quality engineer role. So there was another data analytics, data science team collaborating on this project. But since I expressed to my boss that I wanted to be more involved in that field, he let me take a key role on that project, providing feedback to the team, building the machine learning model and providing the feedback to iterate on that
0: development. Okay, cool. I was gonna say that sounds like a pretty advanced project. You were more like the domain expert or the subject matter expert the SME who was working with the data team to make sure that the data team, whoever was writing, you know, those machine learning algorithms were meeting the business needs that you are more familiar with than this machine learning engineer or something
1: like that. Yeah, that's right. And I was able to really bridge the gap because I could talk about the machine learning and data analytics concepts, but also the, you know, quality engineering concepts. So. It was good to be in that role.
0: I think this is something that a lot of people don't necessarily value or understand that in big organizations, there's almost two types of data professionals. There's like a data professional that's on a data team. And then there's a data professional that's on a business team. And they both are really cool roles and they're both valuable, but you might like one more than the other. So in this case, you know, Brad was embedded in more of a business team doing data things, but really bridging the gap between the data and the business, versus you can sometimes have more pure, you know, data professionals that are not as bridged as well to the business. So I, I think it's a really good point to to bring in because it's not something I knew when I went into industry. It was kind of the same way at ExxonMobil, where we had these like business data people and then we had these data people. And both roles are awesome. They're a little bit different, but they can be really valuable and you might Gravitate towards one more than the other based off of your personality and skill set and experience. Okay, very cool. Let's talk about tech stack a little bit, if you can. And this can maybe be in any of the roles you've had in the past. What tools have you used the most? Yeah, it?
1: sure. It's kind of a short list. So starting in grad school, I learned SQL and R and Tableau and Python as well. I thought that was important to learn, but it was easier to do the statistics homework in R. So Definitely lean towards more heavy use of R. And then as far as career goes, once I landed kind of full-time working jobs, definitely started using Python more. SQL and Tableau were still relevant. And then ended up switching from senior data analyst to senior data scientist and definitely used more SQL and Python at this point. And then our current enterprise tool is Power BI. So definitely had to make the switch between Tableau and Power BI. So. Those skills are transferable, and I would say the skills from R to Python are transferable, but the biggest thing really starting out is, you know, pick one tool to learn.
0: Yeah, that's typically my advice as well, is if you know Power BI, you can learn Tableau and vice versa. And I think the the gap between R and Python is a little bit bigger, but I think this the principle still applies that, you know, really just focus on learning one of them, because once you learn one of one of them, you'll be able to figure out. The other. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on the Python R debate and battle. What Which one do you like more? Which one do you feel like is the superior?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I like Python more and think it's superior. But I think R is just so unique that if roles allow you to use R, you can really stand out as a candidate with particular R experience. So you really can't go wrong with learning either. And there's definitely pros and cons to each language. But the biggest mistake I, le- I found for early on was trying to learn a bit of both R and Python. And I became kind of intermediate in both languages, where if I would have just pushed one aside and said, I'll learn that later, I could have become more advanced and probably, you know, add more value in my roles, just learning that one tool better rather than trying to learn them both. So I think that's just a takeaway I would have.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think focusing on one is probably let it go. We teach Python first inside of the Data Analytics Accelerator because I think it's just more in demand than R, but I do respect the amount that you can get done in very few lines of code in R. Like it's R is almost easier, but just kind of doesn't go as far down the road. What what about Power BI and Tableau? I
1: prefer Tableau, which currently my company's working with Power BI, so I'm a bit bitter about that. But yeah, definitely coming up speed, they have very similar capabilities, but so far just my, you know, about five years of experience in Tableau prefer that.
0: Do you feel like that Tableau is just more aesthetic or do you feel like it's actually easier to use?
1: I think both it's more intuitive from what you're trying to get to, and then easier to use uh, Power BI relies more on the data model from what I've learned and Tableau has a little bit of flexibility as far as join data together. And their kind of data relationships can be a little changeable. So I was able to get to prettier looking, you know, final dashboards and Tableau quicker than I've been able to in Power BI so far, but definitely still learning there. But my initial take is I prefer Tableau.
0: Okay. I can see that. I I, I kind of agree. I, I like the Power BI layout a little bit more sometimes. Just I like that it's like you choose what graph you're making and then you click on the you know, whatever fields or columns you want to put and you put them into the right position versus in Tableau, it's like a lot of the times I'm just like kind of dragging stuff on kind of randomly until it looks like how I want to. So I do kind of like the structure of, of Power BI, but if I only choose one, I probably would lean Tableau. I, it's also more in demand just slightly than Power BI. So that's why we do two modules of, of Tableau in the data analytics accelerator, just because it's a little bit more in demand a little bit easier to get started plus keep in mind that when you're at home a lot of people are using macs and power bi is not fun to get on a mac
1: tableau public is a cool spot for kind of working on portfolio projects so i don't know if power bi has something similar but tableau public is definitely worth checking out
0: yeah that's true better community in, in tableau as well so you kind of mentioned what you were doing at this defense contractor basically you guys were getting supplies from other companies These companies, we'd want to make sure that these raw materials or supplies were up to snuff, that they were high quality, they didn't have defects, they didn't have anything wrong with them. So y'all were taking pictures of them and then analyzing the pictures, which is kind of interesting because people kind of don't realize this, but really pictures are just, at the end of the day, numbers. It's just, you have a bunch of different pixels. Those pixels are represented by an RGB value, a red, blue, green value, right? And those values are represented by a number of what? zero to 99 or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but those really just a pixels, just a number. So we can actually do data analysis on pictures because pictures are just numbers, which is fascinating. So that's what y'all were working on there. Now at your current company, what in big terms of, you know, business problems, what type of business problems are you working on?
1: Yeah, I work at a life insurance located in Birmingham, Alabama and work on underwriting related projects. So essentially my major project is When you apply for life insurance we try to predict how healthy you are and if you pass the prediction then we'll route you towards accelerated underwriting which if you've applied for life insurance typically is a very extensive process you have to do you know lab work and urine analysis and really with this new technology we developed that if you're predicted healthy enough we will make you an offer on the spot and you don't have to go through the medical exam so it saves time and saves you from the invasive process. But so I primarily work on that predictive model that predicts who we should, you know, do full underwriting process and get the medical exam versus who can bypass that and be accelerated through the process. So we, you know, use a lot of different data products to make that prediction. So it's definitely, I guess, big data is not really a big topic anymore. But we have a vast amount of data we can use to make that prediction and definitely helps with the whole business goal.
0: Gotcha. Cool. So you're basically taking in factors, things like, you know, age, where you live, maybe how much you exercise, maybe your existing weight and you're able to predict like almost like a health score for someone and decide on, you know, how much we should insure this person for the yeah, underlying
1: goal would be to predict mortality, but we don't really have that number exactly because we don't have the whole United States population as our customer base, but we're able to make predictions based on historical underwriters evaluations. So we're predicting on, you know, previous rules and human input, trying to get a machine to learn those patterns.
0: Okay, cool. So you basically predict when people are going to die.
1: We'd like to be able to, man,
0: that's kind of grim using data to predict death. I, I like that. Yeah, wow, it can be
1: grim. So but I think the opportunities when you seek life insurance is kind of big positive events as far as buying a that's house true. or having a child. So there's, yeah, you definitely have to keep in mind though, what your data represents, because when we look at claims data, that is, you know, the death of a person, loss of a life, loss of a loved one. So when you're looking at the spreadsheets or, you know, the sales in your Jupyter notebook, definitely zoom out and think of what the data means and what impact that has on people's lives.
0: For sure. Very interesting. Okay. One other thing I want to talk about is what role has a portfolio played in your data career journey?
1: Yeah, I've definitely been able to talk about and work on various projects along the way inside of school and inside of work and outside of work. And initially the portfolio that i developed helped me land my first role in data I was actually working on some Tableau-based projects with my graduate research, and I thought to kind of screenshot some sanitized versions, taking out the sensitive data, but screenshot those and store them on my iPad in a portfolio and have them at the ready for interviews. And when I was interviewing for one of the roles that I was trying to get coming out of grad school, I brought the iPad with me into the interview, and interviewers asked, you know, what I'd work on, worked on as far as data analytics projects, and I was able to pull that out and show them specific deliverables that I had and the way the dashboards could interact and interpret the data. So that was really the starting point of seeing the value of having worked on projects and being able to show them to hiring managers and interviewers.
0: Very cool, that's awesome. It's a great idea to have it on the iPad and use it in the in-person interviews. That's a very cool uh, method. It's like, here's the tangible evidence, I have it right here. You know, it's almost, you can touch it. It's, that's how tangible it is. That's great. Okay, great. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was, what you, was your master's degree. So you have a master's in, let's see, in statistics. Yeah, a
1: master's in applied statistics. And the program was a little bit more theoretical than applied, but it was called applied statistics and definitely walked away with good skills.
0: What was your favorite part about it? And what do you wish that it had a little bit?
1: Yeah, my favorite part... Maybe I think the rigorous kind of technical mathematical aspects was my favorite. Gave me really good understanding and problem solving of, you know, the foundations to these machine learning. So that was my favorite part. What was your other question?
0: What do you wish you had?
1: Back I in 2017, when I started the program, it was mostly the courses were SAS based. So I wish there would have been more coverage of R and Python back then. I think, you know, more and more now in 2023, R and Python or you know, having a seat at the table as far as courses covering them. But back then, R and Python wasn't as heavily emphasized. I had one elective course in R and all of the Python that I learned was self-learned during my graduate school.
0: Okay, interesting. And then what was the the cost and the time investment? Yeah,
1: the time investment is really hard to estimate, but the cost was uh, 30 hours of courses, which corresponded to about $16,000 of tuition for in-state students and it was about three times that amount for out-of-state students so you could say $48,000 and that spanned about three semesters of work so 30 hours in the program so really the program though was kind of full-time like I had time outside of class to work on graduate research but beyond that there wasn't wasn't really much opportunity for side jobs just due to the homework and amount of study involved. So it's definitely a significant time investment. And as far as public state school, I think the tuition was relatively affordable, but for out-of-state students, that that's a definitely a high number.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. So you're looking at a year and a half full-time around between sixteen dollars and $45,000, depending on in-state versus not in-state tuition. Okay that's great well perfect so that was one of the springboards your network was one of your springboards you know being brave and and asking knocking on doors and asking for opportunities seeking them out not waiting for opportunities to come to you all kind of led you to where you're at today which is senior data scientist role at this life insurance company i think that's an absolutely incredible story i think there's a lot that people can take away from this kind of getting that stepping stone job you know working a role that wasn't, didn't have the word data, didn't have the word analytics in there, but really you know involved data analytics. I think that you shared a lot of very useful things for our audience today, Brad, and uh, I'm grateful. Any other last words you'd want to, to give someone who's trying to kind of do what you've done in the past?
1: Yeah, nothing in particular. I mean, there's various ways to get to where you want to go. I think you just have to be determined and willing to learn and really carve out the time to learn and, you know, work on projects and, I know following Avery's content has been helpful to me. Yeah, there's a lot of different paths to get to where you want to go. Don't really limit yourself or think that you can't do something based on what you've seen others do. So just work on projects and continue learning.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Brad. Yeah, thanks for having me. So that is this week's episode. Great having Brad on the podcast. I hope that you can take some of the things that Brad talked about, you know, knocking on doors, using the portfolio, and really nailing the interview can help you in your data career journey. If you guys want some extra help in your data career journey, I have some resources for you below in the show notes. I'm starting up my newsletter again, which I'm really excited about, which is going to be one actionable weekly thing that you can do to improve your data career in your inbox once a week. Check it out in the show notes down below. And of course, I also have my one of my webinars coming up as well. You guys can sign up for that for free. I'm basically going to sit down for you for 45 minutes and teach you my thoughts on how to actually land your first data job. I hope to see you guys there live in one of those webinars.